Let us pray. Most gracious God, we give thanks that you have given us this, your holy word. And we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit at work among us, we might hear this word to us today as your living word, guiding, shaping us according to your resurrection power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our Old Testament reading comes from Isaiah chapter 43, verses 10 through 12. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there is no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses, says the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This fall, we are going to walk through the book of Acts together in worship. It is, as some of you know, written by one of Jesus' disciples, Luke. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, which tells the story of Jesus' birth and life and death and resurrection. And then Luke writes... Acts, which is something of the the second part, where he tells the story of the early church and, and how the Holy Spirit leads the church to witness, to show forth Jesus' love from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and, and to the ends of the earth, among the Gentiles as, as far as possible. It's this remarkable story of God's faithfulness through a surprisingly diverse group of folks And I think it's something that I'm hoping we will appreciate more and more as we consider the story God is weaving among us this day in the church. The story starts in Acts chapter 1, where the disciples, they've been told by the resurrected Jesus to gather in one place and wait. And that's where we find them in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. So when they, the disciples, had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord... Is this the time when you will restore the kingdom of Israel? He replied, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you had one wish for the church, what would it be? This is a question a pastor asked a a small group of seminarians and and pastors who were gathered together. I was in this gathering. The pastor was speaking of wish not in sort of a far-off, dreamlike scenario wish, but in the sense of what is your one ache, your one longing, your one hope the church might know or have or be today? was a young seminary, and I was feeling intimidated and uncertain among the seasoned veterans there. I felt acutely aware of my need to say something profound and insightful and sure. And so my turn comes, and I say, well, I wish, I wish we, the church, could be more like the church in Acts. I went on how to explain how the book of Acts has these remarkable scenes where Christians are meeting in one another's homes and and sharing meals and scripture and prayer and there's these powerful healings that happen and, and these sermons and it seems God is doing this remarkable growth of the church across 
surprising boundaries in remarkable ways. Now, to be sure, I had not read the book of Acts all that recently when I said those words. And that's probably why none of the other seasoned veterans were giving me any kind of affirming head nod. We'll come back to that. But I'm struck by how natural it was for me to answer the wish question by looking back to a time that seemed, at least in my memory, especially good. I'm struck, too, this is the same kind of inclination Jesus' disciples have in our passage this morning. In fact, if you were to ask any of the disciples or most God-fearing Jews of the time, what is your one wish for the people of God? What is your one ache, your one longing, your one hope? As second-class citizens subject to the whims of the Roman Empire, they would respond, oh, to see the kingdom of Israel in all of its splendor and glory restored like it was in the days of the mighty king David. Under him, all 12 tribes were united. We were a formidable military power. People, nations came to us to pay tribute. And though that had been long lost, the tribes of Israel now scattered, everyone's living under foreign rule, the people held to this vision of restoration when, when the Davidic kingship would once again come together, the nations come to Jerusalem. And along comes this Jesus, born in the line of David. Maybe he's restoring that kingship. Except time and again in his earthly ministry, he shows no inclination to go about restoring this political kingdom as it once was. If anything, he keeps pressing boundaries, focusing on surprising people groups, talking a lot about the heart. And so even though the disciples, they have plenty of reasons to think that Jesus may no longer really be about restoring that old or vision, the disciples seem not to be able to help themselves. Lord, is, is this the time? I mean, now that you're resurrected, is this finally the time when you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Is this the time that you're going to use your power to make things like they were? When the nations now come to all of us. I mean, one of the great ironies about my wish answer in the small group is I'm wishing that we, the church today, could be like the church in Acts. And if you open to Acts chapter 1, at the very outset, the church wishes they could be like the kingdom of Israel under David. One era is wishing for still another era, which is wishing for yet something else. And I wonder if there isn't something very human about that. Psychologists, especially recently, have studied a lot about the power and merits of nostalgia and memory, of looking back to other eras and times in our lives or even our history, and doing so with, with, with a fond, even longing remembrance that largely sees certain periods as, as especially good. And they argue that in part... This kind of memory is, is beautiful, it's essential, it warms our hearts, it, it gives us a sense of identity, helps us understand our story. It is great to reflect. They also say that a lot of times those aches and longings for some other time, some other people, some other way of doing things, those can become most acute in times of transition when we feel out of control. Some of those are natural times when we're maturing into adulthood. 
when we're retiring, aging into a retirement, when we move, when the family changes for one reason or another, or when the workplace or the city or society at large is going through some kind of period of intense change or turmoil or angst. It's in those more acute moments and seasons of transition when we feel perhaps especially vulnerable, especially fearful, especially uncertain, something within us almost naturally starts to long for something we remember as warmer. And so maybe we do remember fondly the 1990s, the 1970s, the 1770s. And to be sure, there is something wonderful about all of these eras. I mean, some of these, these are the folks who passed the faith along to us. If you were at the potluck this morning, we gave thanks for the people whose legacies have shaped us and made us who we are. And we rightly do that. Today I am wearing this stole that Cherry Corley made to honor the centennial anniversary of Grace Covenant in 2015, right? She put together a hundred squares to represent a hundred years of God's faithfulness in this congregation and all the beautiful varied ways that we can just say thank you, thank you, thank you. And at the same time you can never live on yesterday's manna. In fact, the truth is, if we could arrive at any one of the eras that we think back to, how often the reality was far more complex, and you might even catch those people longing for yet another era at times. In fact, if if you read the whole of Acts, and we're going to be walking through it this fall, and of course I had not read it recently when I made my comment in that small group, if you read it, the church is stoned, and whipped regularly facing persecution, terrible shipwrecks, snake bites, and that, that's from without. Within the church, there's all kinds of theological division, ethnic division. Even the great Apostle Paul, the, the love is patient, love is kind, Apostle Paul, has this vehement disagreement recorded in Acts with Barnabas, this other great missionary and, and, and disciple of Jesus. And so they just split. They decide we can't even work together. The church back then is beautiful and quite difficult. Jesus, when are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel like it once was? It is not for you to know the times or periods the Father has sent by his own authority. Stop worrying about when things will finally be stable, good, and right. That's in God's hands. Instead... Jesus continues, you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come upon you that you might be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I know you want to go back. I'm telling you, I am empowering you to step forward onto yet a new terrain. And something about this feels like a deeply unpastoral approach. Why not honor these people's longings a little bit. And yet at the same time, it does sound like Jesus, doesn't it? You remember how he called some of his disciples earlier in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus says to a man, follow me. Lord, first let me go back and bury my father. Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. 
Still another, absolutely, I will follow you, Lord. But, but first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Jesus is abundantly faithful to meet us in those times of extreme vulnerability and dislocation where we do find ourselves wishing or longing or aching for something else, someone's else, maybe even some time else. But his pastoral care does not involve granting restoration, but resurrection. I promise you resurrection power for the present. And then he gives us an assignment to move upon the kind of terrain we have not even yet walked. The church I served in Decatur, Georgia, had these seven houses on the property and and used them to serve refugee families who were in transition, folks, families uh, transitioning out of homelessness. It was called Azalea Village Housing Ministry, great ministry, but As we know all too well, any ministry that involves property takes no small amount of upkeep. And at one point, one of the homes used for one of the refugee families had a roof problem. It was old, it was leaky, and the church budget that year was falling short of being able to fix it. This also fell just a bit after 2008 and the market crash, so the church reserves honestly are feeling thin, and, and conversations were had around the church. How are we going to fix that roof? And if, if we pull from this fund, then do you see where we can't do this anymore? And then, it, inevitably, this discussion started to be accompanied by another one that, that was like, well, how, how are we going to get more members in the doors to, to give to the ministry admission? And perhaps almost unconsciously in this season of, not dire turmoil, but angst, unsettling feelings. People more and more shared again the stories of those days just after World War II where uh, some of the members could remember how the ushers just got used to putting out extra seats down the sides of the aisle and, and, and around the back. Could we get back to that? I mean, if we could restore that, we could restore the roof and we, we could do a whole lot more. Vulnerable time. Feeling a little bit out of control. But thanks be to God that God's resurrection power is perfected not in our strength, but in our weakness. The out of control time is the opportunity. Because completely separate from this housing ministry and issue, the church had a running group which had been meeting on Saturdays and running around the neighborhood, dozen or so folks. And from time to time, a couple of them would note, you know, this area would make for a great 5K race, just the way it comes together and the scenery and all. Well, as the roof discussions are picking up, the uncertainties are being felt. One of these runners had just been praying about all this, and he starts to see a vision. Do you think we could actually try to pull off that whole 5K idea? The proceeds could go to Azalea Village Housing Ministry. I mean, do you think people would pay race fees and maybe even sponsors pay fees? Could that happen? Well, long story short, the next few months, there's a small team of folks from the church who start actually going out about a mile radius or so into the neighborhood uh, the restaurants in particular, and witnessing to Jesus. 
They're just telling about these housing units that take care of some of the most vulnerable folks in our midst. And then asking these restaurants if they might want to be sponsors for a donation. So they meet with the manager of Matteo's Pizza, local deli, Chick-fil-A, Starbucks, Publix grocery store, one after another. Yes. Yes. Matteo's throws in pizza free for all the race day volunteers from the church. Starbucks covers the post-race coffee for everybody. I remember I was part of a team went into Whole Foods and asked if, if they might think about some food for the post-race part where the participants get a little bag. We said, it's, it's an inaugural race, maybe 150, 200 participants from around the neighborhood supporting this transitional housing ministry. Sure. I mean, well, I mean what do you need? Water, bars, bananas? I mean, some of all of that? Well, well, yes. Yes, yes, that would be great. And then the woman, I remember, she goes, can I sign up? And we said, oh, Yeah. The race, walkers, joggers, runners, it's open to all. Ultimately, the the race happens. It's fun. Participants from around the neighborhood. Dozens of race day volunteers from all age groups in the church. And the church raises some of the funds toward the roof. The interesting thing is that, that the rest of the funds come from the church members themselves who having stepped in faith together, discovered a new resolve to be about the things of Jesus and found within, actually, the rest. I remember helping clean up later that day and just thinking how implausible it would have sounded if the first time that roof leaked, someone had said, oh, well, I can totally imagine the restaurants across the way and the neighbors over here paying for the church's budget problem. I bet they'll throw in free food and coffee, too. Resurrection power is surprising. Resurrection power is perfected in weakness. And pulls us into a new terrain where the risen Lord is doing something honestly we could not have ever asked for or imagined at the outset. That is the fundamental nature of resurrection power. A power that is stronger than death. I mean, who saw that coming? What's your one wish for the church? Your one ache, your one longing. So I still go back to Acts for my answer, but I no longer say I wish we were just like them. I I know my memory of, of then, no matter which then I pick, is somehow glossed over and I can't live on manna from yesterday. I I know that. But I do go to Acts. I go to the promise that Jesus makes in Acts to give us the same power that raised him from the dead. And so my wish for the church is that in those deep spaces of vulnerability and uncertainty where we start to feel out of control and perhaps are tempted to just try to grasp back at something else that's no longer there, that right in that space we might be filled afresh with the resurrection power of Jesus Christ and emboldened to step forward in love Upon foreign terrain, but with anticipation, will we open ourselves to this power? Well, the Apostle Paul, this also was his ache for the church, and so at one point he put that ache in the form of a prayer so that the church could open that uncertainty and vulnerability and be filled with it. 
and know a power perfected in weakness. And so this morning I end the sermon by reading Paul's prayer from Ephesians three sixteen to 21. I invite you to bow your heads and just let your hearts open in whatever that space is for you and for us and receive afresh the promised Holy Spirit. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, for ever and ever. Amen.